some very big boots to fill this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. pressure is on guys, I don't want to, to add any more of it, but the last voice to be recorded by this dictaphone was Lionel Messi in the mixed zone after Argentina-Uruguay. I didn't get him to say anything myself because it was very difficult to actually get to him, but um, I did stick the microphone in his face along with several people while he was being recorded for a television channel. So, Sorry Sam, who? Lionel Messi. You might have heard of him. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. If you're a particularly regular listener and Argentine football fanatic. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and I am joined this week for Hand of Pod episode 231 by Andres. Hello, how are you? And by Tony. Hi guys, how are you? Girls. Girls, because maybe some girls are listening. Indeed. Um, Just as with the Argentine League itself, we took an international break last week, because, as I just said, I was over in Mendoza um, covering Argentina-Uruguay. Actually, a week ago I was on the coach no I wasn't no I was in Mendoza because I had to be there on the Wednesday I was on the coach on Tuesday night um, it is Wednesday night as we record it will be Thursday by the time this goes online and we've got two weeks of action to catch up on um, because of course as well as the international break we also have the first round of Argentine league fixtures a week and a half ago which we've not covered yet so we'll talk about that briefly as well so as we normally do I will start off by listing the results from that opening weekend Sarmiento beat Arsenal de Sarandi 1-0. Godoy Cruz beat Huracan 1-0, both on Friday night. Uh, on Saturday, Gimnasia La Plata 2, Vélez Sarsfield 0. Rosario Central 0, Defensa Justicia 0, possibly the surprise of the weekend. Racing 1, Tacheres 1, which I called. I said that was going to be a draw, and uh, they did it in typical Racing fashion. But um, did you say that it will be 1-1 and with an own goal from... I Leon? did not, although it's not listed as an own goal here, but no. uh, we shall get on to laughing at Mr. Orion in a minute. Um, Atletico Tucumán won Atletico de Rafaela nil in the Clásico de los Atléticos. San Lorenzo 2, San Martín de San Juan 2 in the Clásico de los Santos. Tigre nil, Estudiantes de la Plata 3 in the Clásico of the... The big cats, maybe yes. Estudiantes are in Leon, aren't they? Yes, so Cat and Leon, yes. Um, Quilmes nil, Newell's Old Boys one, Belgrano nil, Independiente one, Union de Santa Fe one, Olimpo nil, River Plate four, Banfield one, Lanús one, Boca Juniors nil, Aldo Civi nil, Colón two, and Temperley one, Patronato de Paraná nil. Gentlemen, what can you remember of the opening weekend? And did you enjoy it? I think I can remember more than Emiliano, Emiliano is Rigoni, mm-hmm. uh, who didn't remember anything just when he scored the goal. That is another classico between Belgrano and, and Independiente because it's the second time in a row that he scores here, his former club, mm. his former team. Uh, the other time has been in, the, in Avellaneda, and this time in, in Córdoba. And he apparently suffered a knock in, the, in the, his head, and then he lost, lost conscience. Oh, 
I missed that completely. Yeah, he he don't remember the goal. Huh. Or he can't. He has been asked about the, the goal. Do you remember anything about that play? How did you score the, the goal? Uh, Olave was not in a very good position. No, I don't remember anything. Which is convenient, you know, scoring to, to the team you, you root from the childhood and forget mm -hmm. about it. It's really convenient. He had said, previously said, oh, I hope the, that if there is a goal that a teammate scores it because I don't want to score. <laughs> Something like that. Well, it's nothing if not a professional and to have scored it himself anyway. Um, and hopefully he's better soon. Um, the one match that, I mean, well, the, the, the t we've mentioned already um, Racing in fact, so since we just talked about Independiente very briefly, um, we should uh, mention their local rivals, Racing, who began spectacularly uh, their season, as I already said, in typical Racing fashion. Eight minutes into their match against the only newly promoted team in the Primera this season, Tacheres, um, as I say, Sebastián Palacios is down as the scorer according to Universo Football, but in fact it was Agustín Orión um, who on his Racing debut, it was his debut wasn't it? Oh, yeah. did he play in the Copa Argentina before? Yes, official debut in terms of the, so of in the his local league, yes. in his league debut, um, he threw a cross well, into the net. At least he yeah, debuted in the, in the Cilindro. Yes, yes. So that, that's a very good way to, to, to make your, your entrance with your new fans. That's and they resist you before you came, so what a way to, to start with a, a don't goal before the ten first minutes. And as English Dan said um, shortly afterwards, later on during the first half to me on Twitter, uh, he would always prefer a goalkeeper who can save shots from a goalkeeper who he likes as a person, but as it happens, Orion is neither. Uh, he, he's both an enormous bell end and and he would appear uh, not as good a goalkeeper as he used to be either. The Orion de debut in, the, in, in Avellaneda uh, reflects, demonstrates the, the smoke through, the, through which the, the, the media uh, tries to install an, an idea sometimes because uh, it, it has been said that the supporters, the Russian supporters, didn't want Orion to, to go to, uh, and replace uh, Saha. And, when, and as, as far as I'm concerned, what I heard is that uh, when he jumped into, this, into the pitch, people was glad with him. I don't, I, I don't know if he received applauses on, 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 or ovations, but it wasn't like he was whistled or something like that, or, or oh, Orion is not good for us, or something like that. It mm. was a very good receipt. Uh, uh, they, they received him very, very well, uh, as, uh, at least in, in, the, in the stadium, in the pitch, in, in the match. Yeah. Um, what did you make of beyond, obviously, Mr. Orion and uh, whether he's loved and whether he's any good or not? What, what did you think of, of Racing's performance overall? We'll get back to Independiente in a minute, but to be honest, I saw more of the Racing match than I did of the Independiente match. Um, so let's, let's start with that. Racing are going to be one of the competitors for the title this season, we would think. Big team, playing well, they managed to keep most of their sort of core members of the squad together, they've reinforced reasonably well. Um, but it looked a bit frantic against Tacheres at times. Yes, uh, uh, it was, uh, apart from the debut for Orion in the Navigenet, it was the debut for Sielinski in, in the bench as a coach. After some not very tidy things that the, the, the board members uh, did with the Saba uh, Sack then, with confirmation of Ubeda in the bench, 
uh, saying that depending on results he will continue there and finally after a, not, a, a negative result only one uh, they said okay no uh, let's go with another one mm. and finally Zelensky who is a serious serious coach that we will see whether he can cope with, the, with those board members who aren't serious um, but it was I think natural debut uh, as a new uh, brand new coach with the players that he barely 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 knew um, and yes I didn't expect something very very special for for the first match uh, wrestling this coming weekend are away to San Martin which is I mean last season that was a reasonably tricky fixture as well not, mm -hmm. not unwinnable but also not necessarily an easy win um, so we're going to get a uh, more of a sense, I guess, particularly because I mean, and thank you for pointing out that Sielinski is a new manager, Andres, because I completely forgot that they've changed managers as well. This is how long it's been since um, the last episode. Um, and yeah, I mean, w one thing that Sielinski had a knack for, I thought, when he was at Belgrano, was setting up teams to play well away from home. Look for the point, look to hit on the counter-attack and get the win if you can. Um, so it's going to be interesting whether he attempts to, to translate that to Racing or whether he feels like the expectation of managing one of the big clubs is, is to go out and win all the time of course um, so that will be worth having a look at uh, back to Independiente because you two appear to have seen more of that match than I did I can't I'm trying to work out what else I was watching at the same time um, maybe I just wasn't paying very much attention um, what did you make of their showing they got a win as we said already I mean Yano Rigoni scored and then forgot about the goal um, the only goal of the game but beyond that well I think it's it seems to me like a normal Belgrano performance sometimes when they they can make a lot of, of uh, scoring chances playing in Cordoba but they can make most of it I can I remember actually a game against Boca that Boca had nine players and they were shooting all over the place and couldn't score and they had a lot of trouble in the, in the back uh, but obviously the result is one nil to Independiente because they couldn't put the ball into the game and, and into the net, sorry, and that's all, you know. Uh, and again, poor Rigoni. <laughs> it, it wasn't a, a really um, attractive game, to, to be fair. I think uh, Belgrano had to learn yet how to manage, especially the, the rotation of the, of the strikers. They have a few options, but they are all old and mm. not in the, their prime uh, they have to to learn that and actually Tete Gonzalez had to, to learn to manage that squad before any kind of actually hope from them you know it's it's a good squad they have a, a good uh, solid team from Cieliski but we have to to see how, how Gonzalez can can manage and, and cope with the pressure you know because we're is a big team in Cordoba and I don't know how, how good can be in, in, in that kind of, of situation. You, you mentioned the change of strikers for Independiente. It was in that match that Leandro Fernandez suffered a very, very serious injury. Mm -hmm. He had his, his ligaments broken. Yep. Uh, and well, of course, and I, I haven't read anything about the, the recovery, but it would will, 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 uh, demand, I think, six months with the typical Surely. recovery for a, an injury that kind. Um, yes, I, I, I agree with you, but I think Independiente will be 
eh, a well-balanced team with Milito, he had uh, won, had, I don't remember if we reached that much, uh, that independiente victory against Lanús for the Copa Sudamericana, but that was a, a, a great uh, de, de, also debut for, for Milito, and now uh, that he made also his debut in the, in the, in the tournament, in the, in the local tournament, uh, he, he grabbed the victory against a hard team, or at least was a hard team with Zelensky, we will see now, like you said, with, with Tete González, that uh, has signed uh, uh, Matias Suárez, uh, 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 a player that had been for 10 years or 9 years in, in Belgium, in Anderlecht. Not Belgium, it's Denmark. No, no, Belgium. Ah, Belgium. Sorry, sorry. So well, it's all new for them. Also, it's all new for a lot of players, a lot of teams, and Belgrano, of course. Moving on, San Lorenzo against San Martin was one of the more entertaining matches of the weekend. Which I mean, the weekend particularly sort of started pretty slowly because you will have noticed when I was reading out those results earlier on. 1-0-1-0-2-0-0-0-1-1-1-0 and then we had a 2-2 um, halfway through well no, fairly late in fact on Saturday um, with a rather silly match really 1-0 to San Lorenzo quite early on the lead lasted about 90 seconds um, and then San Martin went 2-1 ahead and were holding on fairly well until about 10 minutes through the second half when uh, Nico Blandi scored from the penalty spot to make it 2 all. Um, it sort of petered out a little bit after that maybe both teams were not quite fully up to match fitness yet or something um, by and large it was good stuff but San Lorenzo looked very very open again I thought the crazy match uh, that was uh, held by, by the rain it was heavy rain mm. on Saturday uh, and I think that helped for the, the match to be the way it was crazy uh, with San Lorenzo, uh, they, they opened the, the score uh, with Belucci was yes yeah, with a brilliant Belucci. free kick and then Montagna, former San Lorenzo, another former current San Lorenzo yes. player, he's on loan at San Martin oh. from San Lorenzo and he scored both of their goals. And they didn't uh, release a clause about that. Uh, no, apparently. Well, because there was no clause saying he couldn't play, and um, yeah. Because this reminds me that, for example, uh, of course. Uh, saying this rapidly, quick, quickly, that a river will have to pay, I think, uh, 200 thousand pesos mm -hmm. for La Ronda to play against Central. Uh, or even though that they have bought okay, uh, La right. Ronda. Mm. Uh, it was like a clause that they, they signed and well, uh, in this case, so Montaña is unknown, but there is any clause, there isn't any clause. Uh, that, to, to uh, play again, yeah, yeah the, 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 the field clause. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Seems bizarre, doesn't it? But there we go. Um, they were made to pay for it. Diego Aguirre's first game in charge? No, he had a couple in charge towards yes. the end of last season, didn't he? Yes, they, he, yes he, did he? He played oh, for... Yeah. Uh, what was the match that they lost? I don't know. But yes, he had some matches before. And, and then again, to, to go back to, to Sam's point about pre-season and get into much fitness this I didn't see all the games because that's quite impossible but um, you can you can see those two kind of games early in the season like the really boring ones where they run out, out of legs in the first half and they try to 
Sorry to interrupt, Tony. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we were mistaken. Uh, Aguirre's first match in charge was this season. Pablo Guerrero was still in charge towards the for the final last year. Oh, Carry official. On. You mean official? Perhaps it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure he had a couple of friendlies okay. and stuff. But yeah. yeah, of course. And then, like this one, you know, lot of mistakes, caught by the rain. The the kind of games you see in the first uh, match day, it's it's fairly typical. You know, a couple of. Well, most of the games were close, and a couple of open ones, like the River one, surely will go there. Yeah, but they, they had a lot of precision time because uh, un until they was decided when the, the tournament will begin, they had a lot of time. And it, it, that's true in a way, but I think it, at the same time, it was. I, I guess the clubs would have known further in advance than we did that the season wasn't going to begin on time. Yeah. But still, the managers are trying to make plans for for a game next weekend and then all of a sudden it gets put off you know officially and, but the then again to, to fit this uh, jobs exactly yeah. so the, the, if, if you're trying to sort of put, to put together a pre-season fitness regime I guess it's quite difficult to get the players to peak just for that first match when it turns out the first match is a week later than you were expecting yeah. um, so it could be a concern still uh, Tony mentioned the River game a minute ago so we'll move on to that I would say I don't think that we're being biased in saying that it was probably the most impressive performance of any of the teams um, in the opening weekend. Um, very early lead for River. Dominated the rest of the first half, really, but couldn't make it tell. And it looked like they were going to be made to regret that when Santiago Silva scored yet again against River Plate. He is the eighth joint joint eighth or joint seventh, I thought it was. Um, highest goal scorer against River ever. Um, and yeah, as we said, if he scores one more, he'll either go seventh outright or sixth outright, depending on whether it's Andres or me who remembered correctly. Um, but then in the second half, River stepped it up at several levels. Um, good start. Have they peaked too soon? Because the first match is yes, it's very good. early to get a four-one win. It was far away. I, I was going to say that uh, it is. It look. It looks like it was more than ten years. Ten years. Ten days, ten days ago, mm. uh, and uh, they will have to yes repeat something that for River will have been great to play this weekend. Uh, could have could be possible because of the uh, of the qualifiers, mm -hmm. um, but it was the the I think the Gallardo brand like the sign that Gallardo wants to put into the team. That was the way, uh, of course, although that there was uh, an equalizer. Uh, just when the first half was going to end, then the second half was. I think uh, there was only one team in the in the in the pitch, and the same as the first one. The problem is that when River didn't uh, wasn't that great to to put into the net, the, the chances he got uh, or they got. Uh, there is a maximum in football that when you don't uh, score the goals, then you concede the goals. Mm. Uh, that was. That was what happened for to River in the in that first half, but then again uh, River started scoring in the in the very first minutes and and, and second goal was definite for the match. Uh, uh, with yes, a lot of pressure with players that when so their their performances go higher. Like for example, Pity Martinez, Drusi, uh, and Kako that has been progressively. Going up, uh, Moreira, who is, uh, I, I said here the the previous episode that I was surprised, but 
uh, it looks like a shadow wasn't surprised because they, mm. they they have watched him play in the Sudamericana against River in the 2014 Sudamericana uh, and some players that have been uh, with their performances going, going higher um, and that made the team playing better of course indeed yeah um, and it was only a couple of days after because we last recorded on Wednesday the evening after we last recorded um Arriba got the the Red Copa Sudamericana, the, the Super yeah. Cup, which doesn't matter at all, but uh, it does for the clubs taking part and it does for the fans. Um, down it matter here, at least. until today. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah right. Sorry, yeah, I just got what you're talking. We'll, we'll clarify that comment in a second. Um, I can't stand Super Cups, as I've made this point many, many times on Hand of Pod, um, but. They're useful to watch as pre-season events because both teams are taking them seriously and therefore it's kind of, although it's just a friendly, it's not, it gives you more of an indicator than a friendly does. Um, obviously, River are going on about, oh, we've got five international trophies now in, under Garchardo. Well, yeah, only two of those actually matter, the Sudamericana and then in the Dolores, the others are two Super Cups and a, that thing in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. But um, whatever, it was sort of, Banfield had played in the Sudamericana on the Tuesday, River played in the Recopa and won the Recopa on the Thursday night, so 48 hours less and something of a hangover from the celebrations, you would have to assume, um, which is why I think in my predictions I went for a draw in that match and um, River did not look hungover, they looked very good. Um, a team who did look a little hungover. Sorry, but I want to, to interrupt you on... I think most of the, of the River uh, performance have to do with... with uh, state of mind like you know like um, uh, I don't I can't see the, the war in my head but uh, like 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 a feeling you know mm. they were winning a supposedly important game sorry but it's not really that important that's that Recopa thingy and we have to see how, how how long this can last because they don't have a really hard opponent until the the nine match day against Estudiantes. In the middle, they have Talleres, San Martín, San Juan, and Patronato, Atlético Rafael. They, they could draw, they could lose, but it's not like really important games. And if they can maintain the streak and the, and the, 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 you know this winning feeling, maybe River is it's uh, imposing themselves uh, as. Uh, the problem with the, for example, these matches or or these finals that yeah. you can't call finals a, a, a single match mm. a competition or or a, a home and away yes. single draw. Uh, the problem is that if, if, they, if you don't win it, your rivals will of course uh, boast about that and they will say you lost uh, and you could win and all that, all that thing that is the folklore of the football. Yeah. Uh, but I think that yes, the state of mind has to do with the that River knows that we, they will have to play only the the, the, the first division tournament yeah. and then the Copa Argentina and they will they don't they won't have any uh, Copa Sudamericana Libertadores travels and, and yeah yeah well that's the thing isn't it because obviously what River want to do is get into next year's Libertadores there's only one way they can do that now which is to win the Copa Argentina. Um, and so I wonder whether Gachardo has just told them get your heads in straight away go out and try and build up a lead in the league because if we don't reach the Libertadores next year then we need to 
get something, you know, get the league title, get into the following years, Libertadores, because especially now that they've won it just just last year, um, it's it's returned to being a big thing for the club again. Um, Oh, and Andres has commented earlier about the Super Super Cup. Would you like to explain it, actually, Andres, since you made the joke? Yes, uh, apparently Alejandro Dominguez, the, the uh, president of Colmebol, uh, sent a letter to the, his pair of the UEFA to invite him or to propose him to play a Super Recopa or something like that, like an European South American Cup. Super Mega Archie, yes. a special cup of the to be Galaxy. Played, yeah. Yes, to be played between the winner of the... Copa Sudamericana and uh, the Copa Sudamericana and the Supercopa Europea. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's of course money. Mm, in, yeah, it's it's marketing, marketing money, nothing to do with uh, real uh, football. Yeah. Uh, Com- of course, they'll need to to fill their coffers any way they can. For the um, South, oh, like, like always, for a South American club or the South American supporters will mean facing Real Madrid in the case of River and maybe winning. And- Having the, yes. you know, the and for Real Madrid will be like a, another preseason friendly or another mm. friendly, and well, okay, it's something to watch River playing at Real Madrid if they if, if they the accept it. The, the season's and underway now, so yes. when if you if say yes, either they have it in a few weeks in the middle of the international break or in well, well, in the middle of the season they or should something, fi- or they just put it off till next season. They should fix right. a date uh, in the calendar that. Of course, if, if UEFA is in the middle, perhaps it's more serious that if, if they should play, if they uh, will have to, to, to organize it in Argentina, for example, which is, well, play, let's play tomorrow, something like that. Uh, yeah, but of course it has to do with marketing money and nothing else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one of the big five had a slightly less impressive showing than River did on the opening weekend. Um, Boca Juniors went down 1-0 away to Lanús with Lautaro Acosta scoring the goal with about a quarter of the match to go um, it was a fairly even game actually it, yeah. it wasn't I sort thought of... it would be more into Lanús um, you know I think that Lanús will be won easily yeah. not this uh, not even match yeah. I mean again it, it was a sort of one of those it wasn't so much that Lanús were clearly, clearly and far and away the better team in terms of forcing it. It was more, and I'm thinking in tennis terms because we have the US Open on the TV while we record at the moment. Um, it was as if Boca made a lot of unforced errors again, which which they've been doing quite a lot in in sort of big matches. And obviously, although it's only the first weekend, this is a big match because Lanús are the title holders. Um, so it. it, it Boca still have a lot of work to do, which seems bizarre given the number of reinforcements they made over the, the winter break. The amount of concentration they're putting into the Libertadores semi-finals. They've had a couple of Copa Argentina games in the way. You know, they've had a, a, a decent light river, in fact, with the Rey Copa and the Copa Argentina. They've had a decent run of competitive or semi-competitive matches um, to try and get into some kind of rhythm. And they've had a big overhaul of the squad. And, you know, when, when Guillermo Barros Galotto first came in, we said it's going to be, you know, now late October, early September, before we really get to have a look at Guillermo Barros Equilotos Boca, mm-hmm. because he was taking over from Rodolfo Arena and couldn't make any signings. And now we are getting a look at Guillermo Barros Equilotos Boca, and it doesn't look all that different. Uh, Why pro- not? The problem with Boca, I think, from some years or several years to now, is that uh, they, they sign a lot of players, a hell of a lot of players, and they can't 
build a team that reflects that science. It's like okay, let's sign the because if you if you look at the at the staff at the roster, mm. it's a brilliant or, or a very good uh, uh, staff uh, squad. Yeah, at the least useful. Uh, yes, it's this. You hear the names or the surnames, and they are very, very good players or potentially very good. But then, when you have to put them together, it's, it looks like they don't, they can't make something like solid or something like they are together. Yeah. One uh, of the things uh, I was scrolling on Twitter because mainly my actual job is to see Twitter all day. Um, I, I come across a, a, a word which is, I think, is key. In Guillermo's uh, mentality and trying um, and managing a team, which is discipline. They don't have discipline in, in any kind of way. Do you, do you think that's key to Barça Quilotto's mentality, though? Because I mean, when he was at Lanús, he himself got sent off every other game. Yeah, he. From the bench. But the team, the, the team is have a discipline in the tactics, and that that's also a, what I meant with mm-hmm. they need discipline, tactical discipline, and they try to to be focus in the game and this for example this centurion thingy it's not actually going to help a lot mm. because he came to like almost like a marquis signing and he's starting to i didn't see him in lanus for example mm-hmm. do what he did at boca in too often which was to 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 scream when the the team made a mistake for example again uh, when fabra uh, made a mistake yeah. and, and uh, in the middle of the score, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He shout and, and say, how is how is this possible or something like that? And against Santa Marina for Copa Argentina, he did the same when they lost a, a ball in the middle of the. It was in the middle. It wasn't yeah. in the in their back. And then Santa Marina scored a brilliant goal because it was a long distance shot and perhaps Sara could have do more, something but more. But uh, and I don't at least I don't remember doing that at Lanús. Uh, and perhaps that helps to, for the team not to be, uh, I don't know if concentrated is the word, but uh, that doesn't help, of course. Yeah, it, it goes both way. I mean, with, with, any, with any kind of um, coach or whatever you want to call it. Um, they, they have a, a way to see football, but they also, they also have a way to manage uh, how the, the team must play and how to... To communicate that, that things to the player, so uh, maybe it's not the right man for Boca, even if he's successful. And we have a lot of examples. And they change. They change. It's like one match is not good. Change. The other match is not very very good. Change. Uh, and for example, against uh, Lanús, and there was something that uh, also not good for the team is Tevez complaining because their, his teammates uh, didn't score the opportunities or the passes that he made, the assists, like Benedetto. Benedetto wasn't good, and Bo uh, scored a goal against Libertad in a friendly. Mm-hmm. Okay, then Bo is the one who will be in the starting lineup against yeah, the I, ground. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the thing. The, 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 the thing is not the players, it's not the uh, technical director, coach, whatever. I think they have a lot of Things to be solved first, to to yes. in order to play in well. Yeah. yeah, and we will mention Lanús in um, a couple of seconds. But before we do, regarding this mentality that some of Boca's players have, what do we think um, of the discipline that was shown by Ricardo Centurion the other night? 
Well, that's another problem that will occur. Uh, because I, the reason I ask is it doesn't seem entirely unlinked to this whole circus around Barker at the moment. Yes. Yes, in Fubai, there was an InfoBuy article uh, wondering, did Boca buy a problem? And yes, could be. So what happened on uh, Saturday night, early Sunday morning, is that um, there was a car crash in Avellaneda, mm-hmm. uh, just getting onto the bridge as you go back into the city of Buenos Aires, for those of you who, who've been down here and have been to a game or been to Avellaneda, not for a game, I can't think why you'd do that unless you have friends there. No, it was, he was uh, coming back from Chaco where they play his Libertad. He got back from Chaco and then they went out to a club in Avellaneda with a few friends, because of course he played for oh. Racing before, so he's got mates in the area. Um, but yeah, he, he got back from Chaco earlier that day because it was on the point there, put it on. And the the protagonist um, vehicle of the crash was Ricardo Centurion's BMW. Uh, the driver of Ricardo Centurion's BMW jumped out the car and ran away <laughs> before the police turned up. Um, and there were lots of witnesses who said it was Ricardo Centurion and he was drunk. Um, there were Ricardo Centurion's friends who said no it was some bloke we met in the club who offered to drive us home <laughs> why would you say yes to that but still um, that's another thing uh, yeah, Centurion uh, was the one who crashed the car and yeah. then mm. uh, was to the, went to the judge now to the Fiscalia and admitted it the next yes. day and now his lawyer says it was him but he wasn't drunk so we'll find out but either way he's going to be in for a fairly hefty fine um, at Boca because part of his contract of course is that he can't bring the club into disrepute which sort of makes me think why they signed Ricardo Centurion really given his uh, record are you okay Tony you're having some trouble with that (laughs) place man (laughs) I get him to drink it wasn't the first polemic in which uh, Centurion is involved and Mm -mm. this reminds me to Osvaldo's signings uh, I've seen more than one person say they've replaced Osvaldo with Centurion Yes, uh, it's something. Oh, oh, you are a board member, or you are in charge of the signings. You can't uh, do some research or, or to ask how how was his behavior. You, you can uh, get you know ignore the, the background of the of the player. Besides the the the, he appeared, the player in the pitch, you know, he appeared with a gun when he was sixteen. Yeah, uh, and he said it was a joke. It's it's a past. Uh, but he did it. Yes, uh, so, uh, I was yesterday watching the Argentina game that surely we will talk about later um, with uh, some friend, and uh, Mr. Mr. Sean Allison, maybe you, you know him. Um, and we talk about Centurion in, in, in one bit, and we, we, we agree that he was really talented, he's talented, but the, the, the people he's surrounded with doesn't help him. And we have a lot of, of cases that, and his head doesn't help. I mean, there, there's the, a reason that a player, there's a reason that a player of his age and, and of, of that much ability has gone to Brazil and is now back in Argentina, yeah. rather than going to Brazil and then moving on to Europe or just going straight to Europe. Um, and it's a problem for him. We're not going to dwell on it too much. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to Lanús Boca, or more specifically, let's get back to. Lanús because they are the holders, the the, type, the title holders, and I don't think they were, as I said, sort of massively impressive. They were by no means flawless, um, but they deserved the win. Miguel Almiron looks like he's starting the season as he finished the last one. He was fantastic from midfield. Um, elsewhere, what did we think, guys? And there was another uh, appearance. I think it was new for me. I don't rem- I don't know if he came now or if he was already in the squad. The the one who made the play. For Dana Costa scored the goal, uh, the pass 
that made him be he was uh, Roman Martinez and I don't remember now the name if he Silver was, Rios was it? No, the one who played as a right back, a right uh, wing. Uh, not Silver Rios. Well, it's okay. The one who made the play that Acosta then play then scored the goal. Oh, the substitute Moreno. Uh, that Moreno. Uh, well, came on for Rios. Yes, he was brilliant. I think he was. Uh, he at least surprised. I was surprised by his performance, uh, and uh, he was outstanding in Sorald in that play, that made another change from Boca to make him make him be out of the school of the of the starting lineup against Belgrano. They say that it will be Tobio there instead of Ines and yes, I think it was a, a great appearance for Lanús. Yes, Marcelino Moreno. Yeah. He, yeah, he's from the youth ranks. He was promoted this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Looks like they have a gem there. Because um, you're quite right. Also, I was, since we're talking about him, I, I was quite impressed with Ciro Rios as well. Of course, oh, they signed yeah. from Defensa Justicia over the winter. Yes. Um, he, he played very well. And Defensa well. Justicia made a very, very good signing this week. They did. Newcastle fans, pay attention. Andres is about to tell you who they signed. Finally, when it was not known whether... He will be play, He will be playing football or not. He signed for Defensa y Justicia. Who? Who? Ah, eh, Jonas Gutierrez. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you said Newcastle fans, I thought eh, it was understood. But yes. No, well, it could have been Fabrizio Colocini or. Um... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yes, Jonas uh, is back and will be making possibly making his debut this weekend for Defensa. Um, Lanús, the holders, this coming weekend are away to... Uh, where are they? Oh, they're not away. Oh, yeah, they are away. They're away to Olimpo on Saturday afternoon. Um, whilst Boca are at home to Belgrano. That's not an easy one. So, neither of those two teams have got particularly easy trips, actually, because Bayer Blanca is not an especially easy place to go. Olimpo might not be the best team in the division, but they made it a little bit of a fortress last season at times. Um... But uh, again, keep an eye out for those at the weekend. And going over the non-Big Five sides and matches very quickly, the one that stands out, as I said, towards the top of the show was Rosario Central's nil-nil draw with Defensa Justicia, um, which was kind of backs to the wall at times by Defensa, but more than anything, I thought was just a bit disjointed from Central. They're playing into the, the season still, obviously. Yeah, with the, in front of their crowd, with the, the, the debut of Teo Tierras, another noisy signing in the Argentine hmm. football. Teo Gutierrez being managed by Chacho Caldet is <laughs> a recipe for future hilarity. What can you expect from that? We need to put a camera in, on, on, on Caldet all, all game mm. and see how that works out. I will, I will make a movie of that. But, um, I mean, Central obviously can, can pick things up quite a bit from what they managed. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they come back after the, the international break, of course. Um, having had a couple of weeks now to train together properly and mm-hmm. take stock of things. Um, but defence you know, within... Bearing in mind that Central didn't put the best showing ever. Defence played well away from home. Um, and with Honas added to the squad, you know, whether he, he's fit to play this weekend or whether he needs a little more practice before they, they can give him a game if, if he's still somewhere close to what he's capable of um, he could be an extremely effective player for them yes they, they try all the time and they tried it uh, also in the uh, parque in Gigante de Arroyito sorry mm. uh, to, to try to start the place from 
in from the floor. It's uh, I mean passing the ball, uh, not uh, to throw it directly to the to the attack. Uh, and they tried to do it uh, the more they the, the most they could. Yeah. Uh, especially in the first half. In the second half, they they were more more pressed and and and, and yes, they perhaps threw more that of those of those long balls. But uh, yes, I think they will be will do good and with Jonas Gutierrez, like you say, it will be even better. And the other really impressive, outstanding result of the weekend was a thumping victory for Estudiantes against Tigre. Uh, three goals from three different scorers. They look very good. Or did Tigre look bad? It's very hard to say. Well, that happens sometimes with Tigre. You mm. don't actually know if, which is the, the rule. They have for like four, five years a, a lot of talented players and good players and they never seem to reach what they can do maybe in a few games but so you never know if Tigre play good play bad it's a mystery well Lanús you said that they they started this season the way they finished the the, the previous one or something like that and the same did the Estudiantes mm. uh, because they, they did a very very good season 2015-2016 and uh, there is a problem there with Troglio that faces Estudiantes hmm. They, he can win. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, the, pre, the former Gimnasia boss. Yeah, um, and in fact, looking at Estudiantes' starting lineup as well, it, the stability is, I think, one of the things that helps them because for all of the signings and, and outgoings that they made over the winter, that all of the clubs made over the winter, because this is a league where you get players flying around all over the place. I think like nine of those starting eleven were there last season. Lucas Diarte and Ignacio Bailone are the only ones who scored the first goal. Bailone. Um, and the only ones in the starting eleven who weren't there last season, I think, off the top of my head. And we have a question about Bailone later, which we will um, answer. Um, and yeah, as we say, Tigre just a bit of a tricky one to tell whether they're going to have a good season or a bad season until you're two or three se- two or three matches in. Um, but for now, Estudiantes stability under Seba Veron as president, I think it's going to serve them well this season. Um, and about Veron, he he came back from retirement. And played again football. Did he? Yes, not not in a professional way, the way you you oh, okay. expect. But for the <laughs> I thought it was a really big story. I think the Liga Platense or something like that uh-huh. is in Berisso. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, yes, he he came back. I I we can't say in a in a professional way, but it's playing football anyway. Well, I guess he's still for kids. So yes. yeah, fantastic. Um, I have finished my glass and it's 42 minutes since we started recording, so it's time for a half-time break whilst I replenish Fernet supplies. When we come back, we will be talking about Argentina's two international matches. There's quite a bit to get through there. Um, And we will also answer some listeners' questions, so don't go away. started on this second half, I should give another quick shout out to John Gagliardi, who I mentioned two weeks ago, who very generously donated enough money for three bottles of Fernet. I have good news for you, John, if you're listening. 
You've actually bought four bottles of Fernet because it was on offer in the supermarket the other day, three for two. So I went and uh, got them already, and I've got them sitting over there in my alcohol corner of the living room, uh, which is full of bottles of wine and various different kinds of liquor. Um, and now we shall get on to the important business of the week, which is Argentina versus Uruguay and versus Venezuela. Um, two very different matches, I think it's fair yep. to say. Let's discuss the Uruguay game first, because it happened first. Uh, it was high pressure. It was Lionel Messi's return from international retirement, um, which didn't last a single match. Um, and he scored the only goal of the game. He played rather well, and he was given a rapturous reception by the public in Mendoza. I have to say, it's a bit more fun watching Argentina in the provinces than it is watching them in Buenos Aires, atmosphere-wise, because people are actually looking at the game and reacting to it. Whereas if you go to the game at River, it's... Uh, Cold. Yes. It's a bit shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> up in the stands. Uh, watching Argentina against Colombia or something and the Colombian fans are making more noise um, but against it's Uruguay it was good fun it's like in Buenos Aires independently of River well it's in Buenos Aires it's River is not any other at least mm. uh, now in other stadiums not Vélez not Boca it's like the, the supporters are the supporters of the teams and they react to the players that they play in the teams they support I think or yeah that's true actually for for Argentina games, when you go to River, Mascherano gets a huge, like, way mm-hmm. bigger... I mean, obviously, he's one of the, the idols. He gets a big cheer everywhere. But at River, it's really noticeable. And Higuain, for instance, when you see Argentina in, in the last World Cup qualifiers, Higuain was getting big cheers, and you could tell it was from the River fans in the stadium. Yes, and perhaps in, in the in the provinces, it's more like... Well, they, they it's like they think that they come... They don't come very often. When, so when they come, we have to... Yeah, it's an opportunity. Yes. It happened to me when uh, Copa America and the play in Santa Fe. So mm. I could attend a few matches, and it's like an opportunity. With I can remember the, the results. I don't want to, but uh, yeah. we we see it that way, like an opportunity to show uh, the cities and you know the hospitality and stuff like that. So it's and now, now against Paraguay, we'll be playing in Cordoba, I think. So yeah, another Paraguay and Cordoba, yeah. and then one after that, Colombia is going to be in uh, San Juan. Yep. So, yeah, but the match itself, anyway, um, it was very difficult, as you always expect a match against Uruguay to be. Uh, obviously, Uruguay were top of the World Cup qualifying group going into that match. They're top now as well, but at the end of that match, last Thursday's round of games, uh, Argentina were top thanks to the 1-0 win that they secured. Um, it was made more difficult by pa- Paolo... I was to say Pablo, but Paolo <laughs> Dybala um, getting sent off on the stroke of half-time. Which, from where I was standing, looked like a, um, or sitting, I should say, looked like a fairly open and shut case of two yellow cards. And then I saw the replay afterwards, and the second one looked perhaps a little bit harsh. The guy came in from behind him; he didn't see him coming. Um, the first one wasn't even a foul. Uh, yeah, I think. At, at least it, it, it looks like he goes to the ball high with the with his boots, but the one who 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 kicks the other one is the Uruguayan. Is that? That's my impression. Okay. Yeah, I think so. yeah, you can argue every fall on itself, you know, if it is or not the yellow card, but it's definitely not as enough. Mm. That's for sure. You shouldn't be yeah, on I a mean, red card. I, I was very tired by the time I got back to the hotel and actually saw any replays um, at all of the, the, the two uh, yellow cards. 
Um, and I, I think I would have given it yellow for the first one if I remember correctly. But the second one, I remember looking at it and thinking, mm, that's on the harsh side. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. Argentina, I think, reacted very well with ten men. Obviously, stopped attacking, stopped really trying to get forward. Played Messi as a lone striker for the last twenty minutes with Lucas Alario yep. on the right wing, which was interesting to watch. Um, it was a bit slapdash and it was a bit improvised by Bowser, but I thought by and large they got the job done. Obviously, fast forward to Tuesday evening and things were a little bit less impressive away to Venezuela, albeit without Messi. There were some healthy or good options in terms of new players or players that haven't been called up and they appear now because Iwain wasn't there, because Aguero wasn't there, because in this case against Venezuela also Messi wasn't there so uh, Prato, Alario those kind of players are uh, like uh, you can uh, think that there are some players reliable in terms of the future because even Dybala wasn't there because Dybala was the one perhaps the third or fourth striker in consideration of of, of, uh, Bausa didn't uh, reach Martino era but uh, with Bausa he will appears to have more possibilities and well with his uh, red card yesterday it was a uh, time for more for Prato Alario more Alario than, more Prato than Alario and well even he even scored uh, yeah so it weren't very very were nice matches to, to watch at least for the eyes but uh, intelligent match against Uruguay because of the 10 men all of the, all the second half but, I, I expect something more from Uruguay, taking into account that uh, they, they change a lot the way they play, against, uh, depending on if they are away or, or home. Because last night was a hurricane against, against Paraguay, 4-0, with no doubts. Sorry, you're quite right. Yeah, we should probably go over the results from the rest of the qualifying group, in yes. fact, so that people have a, a proper, um, decent idea. So let's try and bring them up. Give me two seconds. Um, So on Thursday, as well as Argentina versus Uruguay, it was the seventh round of matches, that wasn't it? Um, Oh, please show me the results. There we go. Uh, We have Bolivia beat Peru 2-0, Colombia beat Venezuela 2-0, Ecuador lost 3-0 at home to Brazil, Argentina beat Uruguay 1-0, and Paraguay beat Chile 2-1. Haven't spotted that one, that's quite a result. Um, and then last night on Tuesday I did manage to see at least bits of all of these matches because I wasn't at one of them Um, Uruguay thrashed Paraguay 4-0 Venezuela drew 2-2 with Argentina as we've said Uh, Chile drew 0-0 at home to Bolivia Brazil beat Colombia 2-1 in a fabulously entertaining match and then Peru beat Ecuador 2-1 in one that was not quite as entertaining as Brazil-Colombia but was still pretty good um Sorry, back to you were saying how Uruguay changed their um, plan depending on their home and away, Andres. Yes, uh, yeah, because against uh, Argentina in the second half with the, the 11 men, uh, Argentina with 10, they couldn't create a very, very clear opportunity to score, to, 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 make, to convert, to, to score the, the, the equalizer. Uh, then, well, uh, after the match that uh, played last night, it's anyway good anyway because they are they are in the in the top they are leaders. Um, but talking about talking about Argentina, it's it was good against Uruguay, good with uh, not uh, something to to be goodish. 
Yes, Goodish. Uh, that, that would be the word. And against, against Venezuela, it was quite worse in terms of the defense, especially. Uh, which is strange taking uh, if you take talk about Bausa who uh, tries try to to give more priority to the to the balance to be a, 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 a team built from the defense to the attack and yesterday it was like they didn't cl attack clearly but when they had to defend uh, Venezuela like it's like they complicated Argentina with with simple balls with simple long and direct balls mm. uh, and this that is surprising also about for example this gives you a, mis a measure uh, how Funes Mori marked uh, Luis Suarez it was brilliant mm -hmm. Luis Suarez couldn't do anything and last night against Salomon Rondon who is good also good but, but not, the, not, really not the quality of, of Suarez wasn't so 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 strong yeah what he, what he did in the second goal was horrific yes. horrific he, couldn't close up the, the striker and have like two years to do it and the, the Romero tripping it's, it was a nightmare but the second goal um, I, I think that the, the what we have to to understand about Bausa, Bausa especially the players it's the roles because it's hard to understand what Bausa wants of the team sometimes especially uh, yesterday Banega played like uh, to be a wing when Gaetan uh, entered the pitch, he seems to be like a double left back at some times. You know that he was he returned a few times to to cover up and made silly folds mm -hmm. and start from really back. So I, I still trying to understand what what Bausa wants well, of think, the team. I think part of it is, is that when Gaetan came on and, and obviously Argentina were looking to try and get in the game somehow. Did he come on with it two 0 or two one? Two one. Um, and then they were searching for the equaliser. By that point, they'd switched to four four two because Alario yeah. was playing up a lot but not playing on the right but wing. But why a left back playing right up front alongside uh, Lucas Prato? So he, he was going to be playing a little further back than Angel Di Maria. But I, I agree entirely about Vanega and also Lamela because yes. while there were well until the, the, the change around to, to stick to up front, Argentina had Prato up front with. Uh, Di Maria on the left, Banega in the middle replacing Dybala, and Lamela on the right replacing Messi. Messi. Yep. And all three of those players in that kind of strata behind Prato had horrific games up until that point. Um, it was only you know shortly, well, the sort of five minutes or so before Prato's goal, which made it two one, where Lamela moved into the middle, mm -hmm. and suddenly everything started to look much more. Cohesive and together, and Lamela actually started playing quite well, and then he was taken off for uh, Angel Correa. Correct, yeah. Um, and so, on the one hand, I think it was perhaps a little bit unfortunate that all three of those players had horrible games all at once. On the other hand, as you say, to an extent, it has to be the system, and, and you know, maybe Lamela is more suited to the middle. Banega was was played far too far forward later yeah. on. He when they went to four four two, he was playing further back again, more central midfield kind of role that he's used to. And he improved as well, um, and we still have the same issues with with Di Maria, who doesn't think. Yes, precisely. Uh, Di Maria is not a great player, as I've said many times. As <laughs> as listeners will be aware, he's not a great player when um, when he's asked to, as you say, to think about things. Um, but the, the match in which he looked like a car that will will crash, it was yesterday. Last mm. night was like it was a car that wanted mm. to crash. It was something incredible. And well, yes, uh, 
because he's Di Maria, it looks like uh, he won't be out of the team because when more even more when there is no Messi, Di Maria looks like he's the other like uh, uh, untouchable player. Yeah, but uh, Di Maria, it's weird. He when he have to to play with instinct, he does good things. You know, he when he have to shoot actually and send the go to to the to the. Um, Uh, play wide and send the, the crosses and he does that a lot when he does it by instinct he's good but he, he have to, to think should I pass should I uh, um, you know strike to, to the goal yeah, and exactly. he, he doesn't he, he, he does really badly and I don't know why because he had the talent and he have a lot of good um, coaches to, to help him but he doesn't seem think to take that little second and do things correctly mm. Anyway, last night against Venezuela, it was an obvious lack of connection because, yep. uh, well, uh, to, to the second match of Bausa, you have to add, well, no Messi, no, yeah, no Iguain, no Agüero, no, even no Dybala, like I said. Mm -hmm. So you have to put Lamela, who was very, very, like, cold, or uh, you know how to put it, uh, not, he was not very committed with the team. Uh, then when the, the problem with Lam, with uh, Di Maria. with uh, Di Maria and with uh, Vanega yeah. that, that you said it was like Vanega hasn't didn't have any anyone to play with it was Vanega and then the other the, the rest of the team yeah one uh, sorry to interrupt you one of the things that Bowser have to do right and he, he knows how to do because he uh, many times take the best of many players he have to see the players under clubs and see how they play under clubs yeah. Lamela and trust me because I, I watch Tottenham every weekend he's a, he's very really good defending um, at least committing you know he makes a lot of faults because he doesn't know how to defend but he tracks back and helps a lot but he didn't uh, uh, last night because clearly wasn't the command from, from Balta he didn't want thing, to to me it, it looked as if Bowser had seen him obviously forever when he broke through and was played on the wing a lot, even though he was seen as a future number 10. Yep. And he was perhaps physically at that point a little bit flaky and, and, and not entirely comfortable. Did fantastically from a very similar position to what he played last night at Roma, mm -hmm. cutting inside. And at Tottenham, he's because Pochettino's pushed him, because Pochettino's told him to get his knees dirty um, from time to time, and you know because he's had two seasons now playing in the Premier League, which is a very fast-paced physical league. I hate to go on with cliches, especially about my own country, but it, it is. It is. Um, he's, he's become that much more comfortable at playing in that central role. Um, and, and I think that, that that's made a big difference. Central or, or the left? I don't... I don't uh, he rotates a lot. With, uh, he yeah. cuts inside and tries to rotate with, with the left, two other players. But yeah, the thing is, he, I think he stuck with the, the river image of Eric Lamella and... Many players like Banega, who was uh, starly, uh, like a, a pair for Gago when he comes uh, control from Boca and try to to push in a little bit further, but he he got stuck in in some idea of the players and he have to uh, do the, the the good work he did with many teams. He's a cup uh, a, a cup winning um, coach, mm. and he have to to understand the roles of every player. And he did, like we did with, uh, with Prado yesterday. Prado have a really good game too, in, in, given the circumstances, of course, because it's the second game in the national team. But Prado did really good, uh, given again the circumstances. Prado goes, and, and also I thought, given that I, I, I saw afterwards that he was 
you know, praised quite a bit after the Uruguay game, but I thought he was poor against Uruguay. Um, the the improvement compared with last night was enormous. Yeah. Um, we don't want to carry on for too long because last uh, two weeks ago was a very long episode, so we'll start to wrap up now. Um, but by and large, the standings at the moment in the groups are that uh, Uruguay once again at top of the South American qualifiers with 16 points. Brazil and Argentina in second and third with 15 points each. Colombia and Ecuador fourth and fifth with 13 points each. So between first and fifth, which fifth of course being the playoff spot, there are only three points. Um, Paraguay are on 12. Chile on 11 after dropping points at home to Bolivia. The other I, I, I just really doubt that Chile will go to the World Cup. Um, yes. And uh, Portugal too, so we'll have to, the two, <laughs> the two uh, holders of the continental cups maybe not going to the World Cup. I, we'll see. At the moment, Chile are two points off qualification with 10 games to go. They're yeah, but very, very I think Colombia, Ecuador are more solid than Chile at the moment. And Chile seem to be on a sort of but then again, we said this at the start of the Copa America as well, that Chile seemed to be on a downward spiral because they've replaced uh, San Paolo with Pizzi, and yep. Pizzi's not anywhere near as good a coach, and they ended up winning the Copa America and fully deserving it. So so we shall see. But yep. um, we will indeed. Um, and Edgar, regarding Bowser, I would just say that, as we keep saying, it's only his second match in charge. He's not had very much time with the players. He's going to have the benefit, of course, potentially, of Iguain back next month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it turned, I, I'd completely missed this, but it turned out that uh, Iguain had asked to be left out because he needed to get up to, he, he felt like he needed to get physically fit for the move to Juventus. Um, so he actually requested to not be called up. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I heard a very, he call up. very, very bad commentary about the uh, Iguain that he contributed more to Chile than Pinicia. <laughs> Well, Regarding Chilean yeah, footballers, yeah. actually, I wanted to say uh, I just wanted to give an honorary mention to uh, Arturo Vidal's bicampeón on the back of his yeah, head. Yeah, that, 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 that. I just saw that. I just saw the TV, and I was like, "What?" Because I was looking at that during the during the match last night, thinking, "I really hope he's got that cut into his hair rather than tattooed on the back of his head." Because if it's a tattoo, how's, what's he going to do if they win the next one as well? He's going to have to get it changed. Well, he, perhaps he doesn't expect to win another one. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Either way, it's um, impressive. Uh, and we shall now move, without further ado, on to listeners' questions. Um, one question from JB Boxing Promotions, which was sent in last week, presumably, forgetting that we weren't recording, uh, or possibly he missed the last episode and wasn't aware. Um, and he asks, can you revisit exactly why Caleri was on loan at San Paolo when Boca clearly needed him last season? Um, I can do. He wasn't on loan from Boca, is the short answer. He was on loan from Deportivo Maldonado. And the reason for that, uh, they're a Uruguayan club who exist solely. Um, well, they don't exist solely to triangulate transfers. That would be a bit unfair. I'm sure they play some football as well. But uh, it was a case of transfer triangulation. Yep. Um, if you would like an explanation of what transfer triangulation is, I recommend um, Google my name and the phrase transfer triangulation. And you will get at least a couple of articles. I think I did one for ESPN once and I did one for When Saturday Comes. And I'm sure they will both show up if you... Google that combination of words um, and you will get a good sort of overview of what they are. They were both written a couple of years ago. So, oh no, hang on. No, the Mensa Today Comes one might have been written after the Caleri deal, in fact. Uh, the ESPN one was written a year or two ago, so it won't mention Caleri, of course, but it will give you an idea of the concept at least. It's basically tax avoidance. Um, 
on the part of agents, I should have uh, not on the part of Boca Juniors, necessarily. Uh, Tom Robinson, for this week, asks, Can Herman, inverted commas, Rooney, Lesman, replace Juan Chope Avila for Huracan? Well, big boots no. to fill. Boots to fill. I was about big, to say that. Big yeah. chest to fill as well. Yeah. So, no? No, I don't think... And Well, uh, Avila, it's fair to say that he's being looked by by Valencia uh, because he Valencia sold uh, Alcácer to Barcelona mm-hmm. and he's looking for his the one who will replace oh, him really? and yes apparently he's only just left though huh? he only signed for Cruzeiro is it Cruzeiro? yeah Cruzeiro yes this, yeah, this, this two weeks ago. For, for this year, they are looking for him yes uh, since January of 2017 oh, wow. yeah. and apparently I, I, I haven't uh, watched uh, Avila because basically because I don't have Brazilian football in, in, on TV mm. but he scored eight uh, yeah, goals he's in, scoring yeah in not not a lot of matches so we, we have to agree that maybe Wanchope was the, the best thing that happened to Huracan in the last five ten years so that was really big boots to fill to, to anyone uh, Tom also asks is Ricky Centurion the undisputed top termo of the Primera We've already explained um, unwittingly because I didn't see Tom's question until just now why Tom's asking that. But I mean, come on, Tom, we have to remind you again that Teo Gutierrez is now back in the Primera. And so young. He's up there, he's a competitor, but he's very much not undisputed. We have to. to, to we, it will be awesome we'll to have some kind of celebrity dread match, but with, with Thermos and. Yeah. I will pay for this to watch that. It'll also be interesting to see which of them gets sacked by the club without the contract being completed first. Um, our Ed's. Touch, uh, Darren Paul asks, what about an over-under on Crucero del Norte players falling over when I appealed for um, mystic predictions for the weekend? They didn't seem particularly effectively to be trying to stay on their feet against Argentinos Juniors the other night. Uh, Tariq Haider asks, Iguain is a better goal scorer, but is a Heskey-like centre-forward like Prato a better fit tactically? <laughs> His efforts seem to benefit the line of three. And he says, for the record, if my characterisation of Prato is Heskey-like, is inaccurate, I apologise. I've only seen him with the national team. Um, what do we think, guys? Because I, mean, I think Iguain can be very mobile and, and, and good at holding the ball up and making it stick and, and bringing that line of three into play. He did it very well at the World Cup, for instance. I, I think, by and large, I think that Iguain is... On the one hand, it's his own fault, but on the other hand, he's very lucky, uh, unlucky that... Yep. he's missed those three chances in the three biggest matches that he's played because in almost all of the others he's been very good and he's well scored. you have to to, to uh, see things in in context we, we we can agree like for example and I'm coming uh, not so back in time like you know Piojo Lopez Piojo Lopez wasn't a wasn't a bad player but what he did in the World Cup well, 2002 was horrific and he was crucified uh, for that, and it was more or less than Wayne. Uh, so yeah, you, you tend to say it's a bit of both. I don't know. You tend to say that a player was bad, was was bad, a bad player because he, uh, you remember him because of the World Cup, and, and perhaps wasn't that bad. The same as Wayne. If you if you analyze him, uh, uh, taking out your the T-shirt. Uh, you, you you will agree that he's a very very yeah. uh, an excellent striker, but he missed those opportunities in in, in finals. And they crucified um, him. Yeah. That's the word. But when 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 he started, I think he played more like Prato style. The way that he played against Uruguay and, and last night, 
doing the dirty the dirty work. job yeah uh, not being the the the, the main striker of the of the one who is in the in the box uh, that yesterday scored a, a goal which was i think he got juice from a, from a stone because it was very very difficult for him to have any clear opportunities but he had one and he he scored he made it uh, and you have to perhaps I I I wonder whether he doesn't do if he doesn't do this because he's new in the in the national team and he's trying to make his effort to to mm. stay and then when when he's like you in that he's called up every time I don't know because I mean we've seen Prato we, we've seen yes. him at Venice we've not seen him so much at uh, Atletico obviously because he's as Andres says we don't get very much Brazilian football on television and we get very occasionally but not much. Um, but I mean that's that's his style of play so I, I wouldn't have thought that he's going to sort of feel settled and, and start playing like he feels settled at any point um, I think that he's he's a I don't know about a better fit tactically than Higuain I think he's a very similar fit tactically mm-hmm. to Higuain and for that reason um, I think he's good the one thing I do think is he's just lacking a little bit of mobility at times which is why I, I wrote for ESPN after the Uruguay game that Alario is, is a a more mobile player he's obviously four years younger than Prato as well which helps um, and so I think that it, it didn't particularly although it was a big surprise to see Alario sent on and then put to right wing it made complete sense to do it that way around rather than tell Prato himself to go to right wing yeah. because that wasn't going to work at all um, it was still an interesting tactical decision either way as it turned out it worked very well um, so yeah We'll see. La Liga Gav asks Ignacio Bailone, where has he come from? He was sensational last week. Andres saw this question before recording and did a bit of research. Uh, well, yes, we have been uh, investigating here before the the, the, the episode, especially <laughs> to now... Investigating, meaning we typed his name into Google. Yes, making yeah. a research uh, about Bailone because he has been playing in a... Or he has been uh, training for a space of one month in a Serbian team, which uh, is is uh, there in the in the monitor because it's very very hard to to pronounce and to and to spell. Chukarički um, Stankom. With apologies to our Serbian listeners. Yes, that that was that's what I wanted to say. Uh, and well, he finally didn't uh, agree or didn't sign the contract, so he came to. Argentina and signed with the Estudiantes as a free agent, of course. And he had uh, he had been uh, he came from Lanús in the he made a minor there the youth divisions there. And uh, I I don't remember where, whether he made his debut there or only uh, played in the in the in the in the youth divisions and came and went directly to to Serbia. For what I'm uh, seeing on internet. Uh, he made uh, the first division debut, and then and, uh, and, and before he played in a human model plata, and because he's from model plata, and the, the the funny thing in the Wikipedia page is, uh, the final text on on the Lanús, um, you know, part of, it's that day he almost made a, a goal, because that's so important that it had to be on Wikipedia, of course. The thirteenth of October, twenty thirteen. Yes. He's not from Madel Plata, though, he's from Rosario. Yeah, he's from, oh yeah, he's from Rosario. Okay. So I don't know why he played for Madel Plata. We're now like suddenly playing a competition to see who knows more about Ignacio Bailone. Um, but that's the uh, very long answer to a very short question for you, Gav. And Gav also asks for predictions on how Estudiantes will do this season. I mean, we said earlier on, they look very settled. They look like they know what they're trying to do. 
they have the benefit of a president who cares about the club and, and who's going to give them the stability they need, yep. which is a big thing in Argentine football. Um, I think they're going to do well. I think they're potential title candidates. Yes. As they yeah. were last season, so it's not a particularly controversial thing to say. Um, Mr. Numbers asks, who is your favourite player for Grandete? I will refer that question to the other two because I don't play Grandete. Oh, it's been ages since I played. Yes, so, me too. It's uh, almost three or four years I didn't play. Yeah, well, in the last season, you will say something like Guantope or Malcorra because they were on the street, so... Uh, this season, I don't know. Alario? I don't know because uh, you you can I think sign any player you want uh, or something like that. It's not there's not so so many restrictions in terms of. Do so they still have the thing as well where they don't actually start Grand Day until the season's like three or four? Yeah, weeks three or four. Yeah. Which spoils it a bit because you get a chance to see how they're all doing first. Of yeah, all. I know. But yeah, the usual suspects, you know. Grand maybe Day Alario. For, for listeners who aren't aware, Grand Day is um, the. Fantasy football, um, basically. Sorry, Tony. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Tony. you know, the usual suspects. Alarios and the goal scorers. I know. Indeed. Uh, Leon Russomano asks, Re the selección, can we all agree on Kranovita instead of Biglia? No. I'm going to disagree straight away. I would like Kranovita instead of Mascherano. Yeah, but I don't care. Mascherano has to play your centre-back. Thank you. See, Tony agrees exactly with me. Andres? Uh, yeah, I, I will give more minutes to Karnamita, uh, definitely. I don't know, I know to replace who, because uh, because it's the same time, the same thing of uh, every match uh, when Miglia against Colombia played a great great match, and then now he plays he played not very good, and 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 it's not a parameter to to make him go out of the team. I think the thing is that if, if you're gonna have if you're gonna start with a double cinco, double five. Or have three in midfield with, with a more defensive player, so Mascherano or, as, as Tony and I say, Cranavita there. Yeah. One of the other two, at least one of the other two, is going to be what? Biglia or Banega. And both of them have that thing where when they're good, they're really good. And they're bad, you know they're playing. But you're playing them with ten They're consistent for the national yeah. side. I mean, Banega, for the last year and a half, really now, has been absolutely brilliant for Valencia. And when he's been on form for Argentina, he's been superb. But it's been. Iffy. I mean, I'm not going to blame him too much for Tuesday evening because, as I said, he, he was really not played in his best position. Yeah. Um, I don't see Bausa. I don't see Bausa putting only one uh, centre midfielder. I think he will play with double number five. Yeah, of course. And, he, and in that case, Vanega. I don't know if he will be. Uh, it's it's hard because I again I will play Mascherano centre back instead of Funes Mori. Um, not because I don't like the the defensive Funes Mori. But I think he's have to learn a few things first to be the the, the starter. But I think you, you should uh, consider some other options instead of Biglia or Cranevita. And I, I'm not trying to to sound very Caruso Lombardi, but there are, there are a few good options. And Argentina have a tradition of good central midfielders that can mm-hmm. be useful. And the, the, even at some point, the, the, the best the kid, Lucas Romero, seems like he was the next Diego Simeone. And then again, he's not that great, but he could be useful. They have Gil Romero that could be useful. Asuka Sivar could be useful. Martinez could be useful. It's a thing that maybe you have to um, know what you want from your central midfielders and find yeah, exactly. a player that fit that. It, and be consistent. That maybe it's the, the, the 
what you need exactly in Argentina yeah. centre midfielder. I think we can certainly all agree uh, with with Leo in one way, which is that Kranovic would appear from what we have seen of him, and of course for Argentina we've not seen very much of him, but we've seen a lot of him for River and somewhat less of him so far for Atletico. Uh, but he would appear to be a more consistent player than Biglia. Mm-hmm. But of course, Biglia is very consistent at club level as well. Yep. So whether Cranamita steps that up when he eventually becomes first choice for Argentina, as I'm sure he will do once Mascherano um, bids farewell to international football, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Lawrence Hart has got a, if you don't mind me saying, Lawrence a slightly ill-informed question for us. He says, I'm only saying that because he's a regular listener and he knows us. Lawrence says, uh, can you give me some background info on the new Racing coach? From information I've gathered on my Wikipedia search, he would appear to be a lower league specialist. Yep. So would I be right in saying he's the Argentine Neil Warnock? How was the appointment <laughs> received in, in Avellaneda? Ricardo Sioninski, he was Belgrano manager for five years, and yes. for most of that time they were in the Primera. He took Belgrano up, didn't he? Or, yes. or yes. did somebody else take him up and then he took over no, 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 he was he was there so he was the man who was in charge of Belgrano when they beat River in that famous or infamous depending on which way you look at it um, promotion. playoff promotion yeah. relegation playoff in 2011 and he's been there ever since until just now and he's established them as a Primera side um, some would say that being at one club for five years in the Primera uh, these days makes him the Argentine Alex Ferguson rather than the Argentine Neil Warnock those people would be ignoring all of the trophies that Alex Ferguson won, of course. Uh, but you see, that he did it in the first years. So yeah, <laughs> he's a very good manager. I think what I'm basically saying is that calling him a lower league specialist is somewhat unfair. But Tony, since you said yes when I read that bit out, you can explain why you think it's a fair assessment. Well, actually, what, what uh, I think that in the lower leagues in Argentina, especially, is you especially sorry, you have to um, work with what you have. So he's good at that. He doesn't make any big signings. He's not, uh, you know, trying to get the best in the market. He chose very wisely, and we have to see because Racing could add a lot of players that send a lot of players alone, mm. and we have to see how that works. And Zielinski doesn't have the the background like many others um, coaches that sound in the in the air to to coach Racing. But maybe maybe it's what Racing need, you yeah. know, someone uh, who can uh, work with with the youngsters and whatever they have in, in, in there. We have to remind the listeners that the goalkeeper of the grand. No, it's almost it's well we forty, no? Yes, it's somewhere around mm-hmm. forty, and he's still kind of good. Yeah, it's kind of good. Bear the mistakes, but. Um, he he did a really good job. He also made Chiqui Perez look like Beckenbauer at some point. So that's that's kind of a miracle if you want to call it. But it's good at that. Um, I think it was a rare injection of common sense into Primera, especially big club managerial appointments, and a sign that you know, given how long he was at Belgrano for and the things that he did there, with the reward of stability. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, perhaps a sign that Racing are looking for that kind of thing, or you would hope it is anyway. Um, and I think he's got the tools to succeed. Whether he gets the chance to succeed at a club like Racing is another matter. As for how he was received in Abishane, though, do either of you know? I don't really, to be honest. Well, he, he was well received, but I think the the, the, the more important uh, point of that day he was uh, introduced 
how honest he is to say, oh, I, I hope to 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 uh, achieve what what they want me to achieve. He's really honest with and transparent with the players and the media, which is really good. Um, and you you can see that in the in the teams. And he doesn't like to appear a lot, a lot in the media, which is also healthy because there is a lower league specialist, which is a real lower league specialist, like uh, someone who mentioned, like Ricardo Carlos Lombardi, whose who's speciali specialty is to go into the media and talk. Yeah. And of course, he, as well as Zielinski, as, as, uh, has a good eye for players who are in, in the eye of any other supporters or, 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 or media or. And he goes and looks for a player, for example, I, I, I remember Triverio, who is now at, at Toluca, Toluca yeah. in Mexico, and he discovered him because after, uh, before he t took him to Argentina Juniors, I think, yes. no one know, knew him. Mm. And that's something great, great for him, but Zelensky, I think, is far more serious. And, more and more transparent, the players know it. Know it, and, and they, they play uh, with that transparency. They does he, sorry the word, but he doesn't bullshit around. Indeed. Uh, Lawrence also asks, was, oh, and one last thing that I will say about Cielin... Uh, no, hang on, I forgot what I was going to say, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> we'll just move straight on. Lawrence also asks, was the Agustino Orion signing... I assume that's who he means because he's written Onion, but I'm going to assume that's an autocorrect. Um, was the Onion signing received badly in Aveshaneda because he's a dick or because of some history that I was not aware of? To which the only possible answer is, look, Everybody hates Agustino Orion. Fans of every club, apart even from possibly Boca, but I mean, even San Lorenzo, who is a very good goalkeeper, for they hate him. Yeah. Um, so even Orion is, is hated by even his phone, clearly. Yeah. Because they're autocorrect. Yeah. And it, it's because he's a massive. But San, San Lorenzo supporters hate half of the players in, in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, they hate Cody. They hate Saja. They hate Orion. Well, they hate a lot of people. Yeah. I've remembered what I was going to say about Sielinski and it was that Tony when you were first on the podcast uh, several months ago yep. before you moved to Buenos Aires yes. um, you made the point to us that uh, Belgrano really uh, you know, historically and in terms of fans possibly the third biggest team in Cordoba and Sielinski took them up to being you know, the, the highest up in the league of those three teams and many people would say that Racing are the third biggest team in Gran Buenos Aires given that you're including River and Boca in that and therefore, if Sielinski can do the same with them, you're giving yourself a very good chance, indeed, of winning the league. It's it a rather harder task to yeah. achieve, obviously. It's um, not the same. <laughs> Lawrence also says, last question was Defensa y Justicia um, signing Jonas Gutierrez a big surprise in Argentina? In yeah. terms of the team, yes. I it think was. that it was time to, to him to come back and after what uh, happened to him to mm -hmm. play in Argentina. Uh, but apparently he, he wanted to go to Vélez, of course. Yeah, yeah. But which, links in, which links in, sorry to interrupt, with uh, Liam Kelly's question, who says, um, did he, uh, sorry, not surprised that he didn't return to Vélez, who would want to play with him right now. I think he did want to, didn't he? But he they did didn't want, want him. But yeah, right? yeah. He didn't want to sign him. Because there was something about that last season, towards the end of last season, where he he'd been on trial with them and uh, he trained a bit with them. Yeah. Um, Liam also asks, "Is this the season that Driussi kicks on?" It looks like isn't so like all the seasons. The season that Driussi kicks on. No, but I mean, going in the Recopa opener against Banfield. Oh, hopefully, two two important important goals in, in important moments because it were all, all of both of them were in the in the very beginning of the matches. 
Um, but wait, well, we will see only two goals. But looks like as, as long as Pity Martinez and uh, and and what Jussi and Pity Martinez that they, they have been improving and what we will see whether. Yeah, we have to we have to to uh, yeah. remind the listeners who doesn't follow uh, Argentinian football from that long that River have the tradition to put up with number nines and the strikers. So it it would be good to Jussi to to. Mm, have a good season, uh, but won't surprise anyone. But at the same time, it will. There it, were moments in which Gallardo put him in to play in the as a left midfielder. Mm-hmm. That's not his position, and he knew Gallardo knew this, and and well, but but he said, oh, it's it's this position, or he must get out of the team. Yep. Now that he found or he was able to put him in the in the in the attack more yep. more as a striker, well. Results are, are, are different. Sure. And now, having completed listeners' questions, um, we're going on to the prediction section for this weekend. I asked, admittedly only on Twitter a couple of hours ago, for predictions from anybody who wanted to make them for the weekend, and nobody responded. So if you want to make predictions next week for round three, please uh, get in touch either through Twitter at Handapod or via the contact form on the blog, um, handapod.wordpress.com. Um, and in the meantime, for this coming weekend, after this little piece of theme music, you're going to hear the predictions of Mystic Tony. Thank you for that, I don't know if I'm Mystic. Uh, tall maybe, but not Mystic. You're out this week. Okay, uh, well, first uh, Patronato against Gimnasia La Plata. I will go with Patronato winning, just because I don't want to pay Pixar, but they're local, so needs a good reason. Uh, Huracan against Kilmets is a draw. Olimpo against Lanús, I think the Lanús hardly, but Lanús can win. Banfield against Colón, it's a draw. San Martín de San Juan against Racing. Well, Zielinski, it's... Um, used to playing as this kind of team, so Racing, Union and Losivi, it will be a Union win. Defensa y Justicia against San Lorenzo, it's a draw. Independiente against Godoy Cruz, I will go with Godoy Cruz. Uh, News of Boys against Sigret, that's a difficult one, maybe a draw. Vélez Arfield against Rosario Central, it will be a Vélez win, and that will surprise a few, and we will see how that work out. Estudiantes against Sarmiento, I think with what happened uh, the first match, uh, we always Estudiantes winning. Boca Juniors against Belgrano, oh, I hope for a draw and a riot in La Boca. Uh, Talleres, uh, uh, sorry for the Talleres, they sound like very Cordobes. And River Plate, I will go with River winning. Arsenal against Atletico Tucumán, well, uh, I think it's a draw. Like Every time you want to see Arsenal, it's like... Do you feel like it will be a boring nil-nil? Atletico Rafaela Tambalay, it will be... Uh, there will be a plenty of goals, but again, a draw. That will be my prediction, and I don't know. Okay. I'm surprised with the Vélez one, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, although Central, as, as we said earlier, didn't start particularly impressively, that's a brave call, given how awful Vélez have looked for a couple of years now. I agree with most of the, of the, of the preview. What we forgot to mention, and I think that 
the one, last match he he previewed Arsenal Atlético Tucumán was yeah, I think that match will have away supporters. Oh, they are right. Oh, yeah, there are going to be some away fans this coming weekend. Yes. So some there games. will be there will be people in Arsenal <laughs> stadium. Okay. As I apologise for um, the ambulance going past, we almost got through the whole episode without one there. But we know that your listeners like the sounds of Buenos Aires. You have to mention it on Twitter now next week. Which other? Yeah, I will. Um, which other matches are there with the away fans? Can you remember which ones they were? Uh, there the Estudiantes game was one, wasn't it? Yeah, it would be four or five, and I don't remember exactly when. One of them was going to be the Defensa Justicia against San Lorenzo, but apparently Defensa Justicia today said that uh, they told the security forces that they didn't want to have away fans because they didn't have the... the, the, the actually, I might be getting them mixed up with Arsenal, it might be the Arsenal game. But one of them, anyway, said that we, the stadium's not ready to, to take away fans, so we can't do it. Um... But yeah, there are going to be a, a limited return to away supporters this week. So uh, then again, I said touch. that I expected a riot, but maybe I was right. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they don't them back into La Bombonera right now. But we'll see. Um, and another thing to mention before we forget, and only mention in passing, really, is that today it was announced that Daniel Passarella is going to be prosecuted um, for ticket resales whilst he was River Plate president in cahoots with the Barra Brava um, 6,000 tickets each match he was uh, reportedly allowing to be resold and then pocketing the money or divvying it up with the Barra so that gives you some idea of the scale on which these operations are given and it is a jailable offence or at least one of the various offences that he's being uh, going to be tried for is is jailable, so we might see a World Cup winning captain going to prison, possibly, uh, which would be interesting to see. We will keep you informed uh, about that when we have more details later in the season, and we will be back next week because now, after a fortnight since the last one, we're settling into our weekly rhythm for Hand of Pod uh, for the rest of the season. So thank you very much to listening for listening to us, not to listening for us, uh, for another evening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope that you enjoy this coming weekend's football. In the meantime, it's goodbye from Tony. See you later. And from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And from me, goodbye. <laughs>